Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here, and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have the third part of our three-part series with Jean-Éric Plamondon, which has been such a fascinating series. Now, if you missed the first two episodes, I strongly recommend you go back and listen to those. You will find those and a link through to them in our show notes. So please go and check out what those episodes are. Go back and find those because in part one, we started with Jean's background and his unusual acquisition story. And that is such a must listen to episode. Then in our second part of our three part series, we talked about the four exits of his business. And in this episode, we talk about innovation. Of course, this is part of the innovation series that we are running here on the Deal Room podcast. The reason that we talk about innovation here, um, and the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because innovation is so important, not just in the way in which we run a business, but in the opportunities that we have in this business sale and acquisition space. There is so much opportunity for innovation here. And I have dedicated myself to a series all about innovation. We've run a few of these in the past, and we will be running a lot more of these Uh, in 2023. But in this episode, we're talking about Jean Eric's experience in innovation, how he built a business all around innovation. We discuss innovation in business acquisitions and sales. And we also talk about where the opportunity is right now for innovation in this space, which I think is very interesting. Obviously, I think it's interesting, but we also get into innovation and approaches in in deal structuring. And without further ado, here we go with our discussion with Jean-Éric Plamondon, all the way from Canada. Okay, Jean-Éric, I am so excited to have you back here today talking about my absolute favorite topic in the world, innovation. Huge thank you for coming on to the show today. Hey, I made it back. Thank you, Joanna. Appreciate it. <laughs> so exciting. Anyone who has not listened to the other two episodes, you are doing yourself a huge disservice if you don't go back and listen to the discussion all about acquisitions um, and about exits. There is some juicy, juicy, juicy content in there. Um, and you are such a great storyteller, Jean-Eric. And, and of course, you've got so many stories to tell. But uh, I've loved them. Today, we're talking about innovation. As I said, that is my absolute most favorite topic. Sounds like you have just lived this concept of innovation in, in every one of all of these businesses um, that you have. Can, can we start with just uh, maybe a quick overview of, um, of, of, of your strong or your most exciting, the innovation that sticks out most in your mind as being the most effective or the best innovation that, that you've had over time? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, there, there's definitely an underlying current when you look at like a theme, when you look at all my past companies, 
And, you know, I've always had this interest in, in technology and I've always been tech savvy and I've always been an early adopter. And I, and I believe, you know, I've been able to figure out how to leverage technology with pre-established systems and people that are key people that are bought in to perpetuate those systems. And that is, I mean, maybe this is a little too general or vague, but once you get those two bottom foundational pieces, once you bring that technology in, it was a massive, massive amplifier. And, you know, and I love that we're talking about innovation. You know, right now, data is my favorite word. My 11-year-old son makes fun of me for it. And he, in fact, he's getting into programming now because it's, you know, I'm, and that's the number one thing I'm saying to businesses. Do you have your data ready? Because the next biggest revolution is here. Love it. Okay. And, and what do you mean by that? Do you have your data ready? How do we get data ready? What are you doing to get your data ready? That's right. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, we look at the journey of data and this is a course that I'm developing and I'm most excited for this one. It's, 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 you have to take a couple of courses to get there, but it's to really understand that data is the number one most valuable resource right now in our, on earth. And so where there's a, where with every revolution, you can, you get to take the jar and shake it up because the people that are on top don't necessarily land out on top after that. And that's where we are right now. So when I say data, a small business owner that is properly tracking all pieces of information early or what I call upstream in a sales conversation or prospective conversation, is that being tracked in a granular way? Now, again, I'm using words that are granular, meaning like, can you pull each of those points out and later reference them in the process of whatever your company does, whether it's manufacturing, a product or a service, and, and then referencing it later at the time of sale or delivery or aftercare service. If you have that quality data, we are now at a point where you are going to access the same technology that Fortune 500 companies didn't even have access to a year or two ago. And we're there, we're right at the turn of that. And it's so exciting to see, you know, it's the, the David and Goliath, small businesses, at this turn are going to be able to do some really cool things. Yeah. It's such a good point because, um, because you, you know, most businesses have more access to data than they have any idea that they have access to. However, data is a very difficult thing to organize and in a way that you can pull effective and useful information out of it. And, and in fact, I've, I've had this discussion quite recently in relation to the business sale and acquisition space because it, let's take business brokers, for example, which is a name for um, uh, sales agents of businesses here in Australia, um, the business brokers that can provide clear um, indications of the market's approach to valuation of a particular type of business will, of course, be able to provide a lot of value um, to sellers who are coming in who who want to get a read on where the market is and what the true value is in their business. And, and you, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of brokers who have some quite interesting ways of being able to gather that data, but it is a very hard thing to do because there are so many differences in, in the information subset that lead to one particular business as opposed to another. Are there tips and tricks that you've learned along the way that have enabled you to not just collect data, but to organize and extrapolate data in a way that makes it then useful? 
Absolutely. And so I think one of the caveats I'm going to put out here is that I am not a data, data scientist. So there is a point where data gets to where I, I, I have to now hand it over to the experts because there is a law of diminishing returns. You know, so when people think data, they think, oh, I'm just going to scrape the internet and I'm going to have everyone's name. Okay, that's one form of data, but that's not necessarily what we're talking about. So uh, in terms of, you know, to answer your question of the data for small business, it's about capturing the things that you can use later on downstream. So what is it of value? Now, that could be as simple as listening to your customers post-purchase when they're giving feedback, which, by the way, you can have scrapers that scrape that. You can put it through natural language processing applications, and it'll automatically feed your list or your database of ideas and suggestions when you go to your quarterly retreats to talk about your strategic plans. Those are things like that's data there as opposed to, and I've seen this, I've seen this in mature companies, I've seen this in young companies, they sit down and they go to the salesperson and they go, so what are you hearing there? And the salesperson's on the spot and they start talking about the last three phone calls they were on. Well, is that a good representation of what's actually going out there? I would argue not. And so that's just one example of how are you collecting the quality, qualitative stuff that you can action on, make intelligent decisions on later? Of course, there's the, the more obvious things like the finance where you can start to pinpoint, there's productivity with your staff, you know, so where you can have digital productivity management, project management. Those are the more obvious ones, but how can you start thinking about what is around your business? What are your clients doing before they buy? What are they doing after they buy? What are they saying in all those times? Those are all data points that you can collect and action on. So obviously you've bought and sold quite a lot of businesses um, and I'm super interested in innovation in the business sale and acquisition space. So I really want to hear your thoughts on where you think there is opportunity for innovation or indeed anything that you feel that you did that was innovative in your own acquisitions or sales? There's a client of mine that, for example, right now, we brought him from no tech to a tech-based company. He's in a specialty type of construction. Um, they work with on swimming pools, for example. And uh, they were pen and paper. And their motto was, hey, pen and paper never crashes. Why would we change? And they were already a market leader and they were very good. They had very good processes. They invested heavily in their people, which is already quite remarkable stuff, you know, for construction or, you know, sometimes they get a bad rap for those things um, sometimes. And so nonetheless, they had those things already kind of mostly figured out and we came in there, turned a few dials, but then we started to integrate the technology. And so now we got them onto a system where now we can track uh, the, all of their incoming requests and data points in terms of what's happening, uh, they can, within the moment that the agent hangs up on the phone, they, the customer gets an notification email and text message saying, we acknowledge your request, your inquiry, click here. You can upload all the photos right away in qu high quality data so that the, um, estimators can now get an estimate out within hours instead of waiting days or a week and a bit to come out and actually look at it. So that's one component of it. But let's take it to the next level. So then we started to realize, well, you know what? Swimming pools don't really move around much. They're kind of fixed objects. 
So we started to create a database of all the swimming pools, you know, in a vicinity of about a million people. And now the database is actually fixed on the pool. And we know that people come and go because they buy and sell houses. And now we are building a database of all the pools in the in this city, this metro area, and tracking all the changes, everything like that. And we've tied it in with other systems. You know, in Canada here in the US, we have like this MLS uh, listing system for like real estate housing. Well, that's a public database source. So we've tied it in with some, you know, we found some really geeky, awesome programmers that connected that stuff. We now know when a house sells that has a pool. And it's because we already have all the addresses. So we match it up and we've automated the campaign so that now, you know, about six months after or the spring after they bought that house, they get a big welcome package saying, welcome new pool home owners. Uh, we want to introduce ourselves. We're the number one company that does all the pool repairs, blah, 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 blah. Here's a beautiful, big branded package. Enjoy your pool this summer. Call us if you want to know anything. And so that, you know, might be a little bit big brother and creepy, but um, it's, you know, <laughs> sounds clever, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, th that's just one initiative that we can now start to leverage because we had a database, we had a base of data that we could work off of. Love it. Okay. I I've got a couple of other things that I think you've done in that are innovative and I'd like to talk about these. Um, the first one is innovative deal structuring. I love talking about deal structuring. I talk about it a lot. Um, in, in the book by Grow Exit that I've just released. But I, I love your approach here. Um, in one of, and we talked about this in one of the earlier series. Um, hot tip here. If you haven't heard this other podcast, go back, have a listen to it. But I think we were talking about this in, in the acquisition side where, where you had you, the first, a business that you bought, um, you you did it with no money down, um, which I said at the time, you know, I thought was very interesting because there's a lot of discussion at chatter about it, but I really see a, a really positive outcome out of it. And this, you know, was such a great example. Uh, are there other sort of deal structuring approaches that you feel that you've come up with over time that have been you know, maybe not the obvious choice, but have worked quite well for you. And, and maybe just give us a quick, just quick overview of, of how you structured that first deal um, and, and then, you know, anything else along the way that you've done in deal structuring. Yeah, well, I think, you know, the idea there was I, I used knowledge that I acquired in a totally different industry and brought it into a new one. So at the time I was in the middle of buying and renovating and flipping or keeping rental properties and I was learning and I was in my early twenties and I, and by early twenties, I was 20 and I didn't have any money. So I had to figure out how to use other people's money and be attractive to bring that money in and get them to trust some 20 year old to do this. And I was doing it and I was uh, doing it quite well. But at the same time, I realized, Hey, if I can do that there, how do I, maybe I can do that with buying a company as well. And, and so a lot of those principles do lend themselves there as well. So things like security and all that stuff. So that's how I was able to buy the first company on vendor take back. Vendor take back VTB is just a term where the, the seller of the company wanted a certain price. Well, I didn't negotiate on that price because frankly, I didn't have any money anyway. But I, you know, and I knew the cash flow would pay for itself over time. I did my numbers and I knew them pretty well. And so I thought, okay, well, what if I give them an interest rate that they would appreciate and pay them out over time? 
And so that's what a vendor take back loan is. Now, if you're thinking about doing that with a business that's probably listed with a broker, I don't know how likely that's going to take place. <laughs> you know, and, you know, if, and if you didn't hear that episode, that seller was not listed on a, with a broker or anything like that. And it just so happened that I found them off market. So I'll leave that at that. But that's what a vendor take back is. And, um, you know, and we don't have forward. that terminology here in Australia, so we don't have vendor take back. But ah. but the take back component, I, I, with the terminology we use here, is vendor finance or which ah. or payment terms for okay. the the you know the payment of the purchase price. It, does the take back component? What does the take back component mean there in Canada? Is it that the the seller they're can take back, back the, the business? Financing. So I'm oh. buying it from them, and then now they're taking. <laughs> They're taking the, the inventory or they're taking the, the financing back. So it's, I got it. Actually, I never really thought about it. We just call it that. So. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. Here in Australia's is of Finance, which, which is fine. We've got absolutely the same concept, um, but rarely done with the no money down. So, so fascinating that you're able to drive that deal. Obviously, I, I think one of the things that is important to mention, and, and as you said, it's not usually something that you are likely to be able to achieve for a business that's already on the market, someone who is, is wanting the cash out of the business. But there are also has to be a level of trust there um, that you will presumably have to develop in order for a seller to um, to have the trust that you will ultimately um, pay for that business. It's interesting that you talk about this because a, a deal came to us uh, just yesterday, the day before, just in in the recent last two days, where um, there was a business that was hard to sell. Um, a, a, someone who was keen to buy, I think it was an employee, came in and was really keen to buy it, had no money. And, and we talked about structuring this sort of deal that you're talking about at the moment. So I think there's a real opportunity for that. Um, but I also want to cast you back to, um, one of the things that you talked about in, in the previous podcast about another acquisition, the scrap metal, um, acquisition, I think it was. You talked about, you sort of, you came in, you worked in the business for a while with the idea that you would, rather than getting the business now and having finance right up, you worked in the business first with the intention that you would then, uh, acquire the business and, and do it on a similar vendor finance sort of deal, but the, the vendor wanted to, or the seller, wanted to uh, get comfortable with you first, but you actually built the business value up and ease it through systems and processes over that time. Here in Australia, um, one of one of the approaches that you can use that can be a bit innovative in that area is the use of options where, you know, buyers can come in. And, and I have actually advised on this before, and we've been able to create great deals with this for clients before when we're acting buy side, where buyers come in, sort of try out the business first, or in your instance, the seller was trying you out as well in terms of working out whether or not they could trust you to finance the deal, but but have that option built in so that you already had a preset price and a preset time that you could force that sale in the future. So that is one of the ways that you can bring creative structuring into the the um, deal process to give you that option to try it out or, or whatever the case may be, but then to still have the protection of being able to buy that business um, into the future without having wasted your time um, in being in a business that ultimately you can't buy. Yeah, I think that's that's a great, yeah, in hindsight, I wish I had done that because I uh, made the company a lot more valuable and then all of a sudden they were not as interested in selling it after I removed all their pain points. So, um, 
there, there's a few other pieces of innovation, if you don't mind me t- touching on, you know, when I, so, you know, I, I didn't end up acquiring that scrapyard that I had worked in for six months. And they wanted me to do that to prove that I could actually run the place and all that stuff. And in that six month exposure, I realized, I think there's another opportunity here. So we went off and started that niche business. And that's the one we scaled up from zero to 5 million in sales in six months um, of starting it. And, uh, you know, we were able to achieve a 67% gross margin and maintain that ongoing. And so, you know, when I look back there, you know, we, again, had to be very creative because, you know, I started on a couple of those like free credit card, no interest loans that came in the mail. Um, I don't know if you guys get those in Australia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then roll them on to the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've seen absolutely. That. Yeah. And that's basically what we did. You know, partner and I both leveraged a couple of those and off we went. So we got really creative in a few ways. And the first one is we started to leverage what I now call the cash flow delta. And so by delta, meaning like the time it takes from the time that you shell out money or you, you, you pay for things to the time that you get it back. What's that time in your business? Now, I know every business has a different way because if you're doing inventory or manufacturing, et cetera, but just try to figure that out. And a lot of companies I'm seeing, it's like 60 days or 45 days or, or more. Well, with our scrap metal company, we were actually able to figure it out to do it in the negatives. What does that mean? That means we were able to go do the work, get paid, and not have to pay anybody for even more time. So we had now this, when, we, when you get to figure out how to change that ratio into the negatives, you've now unlocked one of the secrets for scaling. And so we had done things, for example, like uh, we were acquiring equipment through the auction houses, but had negotiated 90 to 120 day terms before we even actually had to pay for the equipment. So we'd go buy it, get it to work. And that thing was starting to pay for itself before we actually, you know, and then we would roll it into a loan. Um, You know, we would found ways to push all of our vendors to 30 days. And then we asked if we can pay for credit card on top of that at the end of the 30 days, you know, and of course they wanted to charge us the 3% or 4%. At that point, we didn't care because, you know, it gave us, the time to go and do the work to pay for it. Now, caveats there, we were profitable, we had good margins, you know, do your own due diligence, of course, <laughs> like, don't, don't be silly, you know, don't do things just if you have no profit. But in, the, in our case, we had figured that out. You know, we had figured out how to access our clients, our client acquisition costs were very affordable. We had gone out and did some very interesting ways of accessing our clients. Um, you know, and, uh, back to innovation for us at the time, and I, and I believe this is still the case. I've come across a couple larger logistics companies, uh, local companies here. They still have this problem. And I solved this like t- ten, uh, eight, ten years ago. We would equip every single one of our drivers with smartphones. <laughs> back then, that was a big thing. But now everyone's got one. But phones where they were obligated to scan information, the forms on a daily basis to the office. So we would tie bonuses to that. So if they didn't scan it in, they would lose their bonus for the week. So they were motivated to get it in to the point where, you know, and if you know anything about logistics, you're constantly chasing your drivers to get you this data in once a month, if that, if you can even get it in. Whereas we were getting drivers calling us, making sure they got, we got the deposit or the, the upload because they're in a sketchy cell phone service area and they wanted to make sure they didn't lose their bonus. So, 
we had found ways, and so that's a process, that's the people, but we brought them technology with things like s- smartphones and so that we were now running with real-time visibility, real-time metrics, and not trying to, you know, because I see so many companies running on like numbers that are 90 to 120 days late. You know, imagine driving your car without a windshield and only looking through the rear view mirror to see if you're driving between the lines. And that's what a lot of small businesses are doing. So how can you start, and this is the next thing, how can you start putting yourself in a position or in a place where you know where you are in real time? How can you at least just drill a little hole through that board on your windshield so you can see where you're going? Because that is the key to, to making not making bad mistakes. And 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 I just wanted to throw in there that you know this is an exa- so so innovation as a whole, but also this cash flow delta and being able to move the cash flow delta as you call it, love it. That is a brilliant name for it. Um, is makes your business so much more valuable at sale. But I, I also want to throw out because many of our listeners. Um, to uh, are in the business uh, sale and acquisition industry uh, and are brokers, business brokers, sales agents, or corporate advisors, and a lot of that um, the the uh, payment approach in in this industry is um, business brokers, sales agents getting paid the majority of their payment once a business is sold. And and obviously their cash flow delta is really long. So, you know, I guess he here's here's a real call out um to finding ways to make changes in the industry. Um you, you know, and I think this is one of the huge areas that is just ripe for ultimate change. Uh, one other very, very quick question uh, element I want to come back to is um, your innovation in acquisition. Um, and once again, we talked about this in a previous podcast, your, your acquisition approach to deal with, you used acquisition to deal with a supply issue. Um, so, and, and I think that this is, and, and this was in relation to uh, you uh, uh, having the, I think it was copper, um, the, the copper supply shortage and that sort of then sent you out on, on your uh, scrap metal journey um, and, and then, you know, e- into the next business about w- the cleaning up the, the farms or whatever it was with the metal. Um, so so I, I just want to say, you, you know, I think this thought piece as well about using acquisitions through for growth but to help deal with issues that might have in your business say for example slight uh, supply issues is is you know for large businesses perhaps not very innovative very innovative for small business because so few businesses think this way and and my invitation is to our listeners to think about what e- what, what are your blocks in your business and can you use either, I, I guess, there's systems and processes or acquisitions um, through those blocks? And, you know, m- maybe just sort of some parting thoughts from you, Jean-Eric, on, in, on, on that topic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the idea there and for us is, you know, how could, you know, our biggest and fastest growing segment was copper items. But where we were making them in that part of the world, copper was going through the roof. So we couldn't do it. The, the, the economics of it broke. So I had to ask myself, where can I get copper at its cheapest form? Um, and so I ended up landing in scrapyards, and which brought me down a whole other journey of businesses. But, you know, if, if I were to be sitting in another business right now, I would be asking myself, is there that one vendor or is there that one source that if I lost them, my business would be really hooped? 
don't know if that's an expression you guys use, but really. <laughs> Not usually, but I love it. That's fabulous. Yeah. I haven't heard it before. Yeah. Hooped, is it? Okay, yeah. there we go. We're adding so many new terms to here today. But, you know, like if, <laughs> if, if, you know, where you would really be, like it would be a massive interruption to your business. Is it one vendor or is it one source? And so the question then starts to become, like it's an exercise of well, where else would we go and how would we get that? Um, those are the things that are, I think are critical to, for, for me, it was a, it was a thing out of necessity because that was where I, that was where the market was going. But, uh, thinking about those things in advance, um, are also helpful because, well, Hey, we saw it with COVID-19 things that never had supply chain issues became supply chain issues. Oh, look, Jean-Eric, I don't know. I could go on all day asking you more and more questions, but, um, but uh, you know, I know we have to wrap it here. I just want to say an absolutely huge thank you um, for coming on to the podcast. I've had so much fun. We're going to put some links through in our notes um, to uh, any of our listeners who are interested in finding out more about how they can add systems and processes to their business because you've got some great um, uh, great products that you are in the process of developing and have on board right now. Um, but just a huge thank you to you for coming on to the show. I've loved it. I hope you had fun. Always a great time. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode of the Deal Room Podcast. We hope you're now primed for your next deal with these pointers and have enjoyed these fascinating insights. Now, if you'd like more information about this topic, then head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com. Com, where you'll be able to download a transcript of this episode as well as access any contact details and any other additional information we referred to in today's podcast. Now, if you'd like to get in contact with our guests today and the services they offer, you can go ahead and check out our show notes for a link right through to them and their details. You can also book in directly with our legal legals at Aspect Legal. If you'd like to soundboard your next steps, discuss a legal question, or find out more how we can assist, whether that's with buying or selling a business, or perhaps somewhere in between. Now, don't forget to subscribe to The Deal Room Podcast on your favorite podcast player to get notifications whenever a new episode is out. We'd also love to hear your feedback, so please leave us a review and rating if you're already one of our subscribers or even if you're listening to this podcast for the very first time. Every review helps our team produce valuable content for you. Well, thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. I am so very excited to announce that I've hit a non-podcast related milestone and released a book. You might wonder why? Simple. I wanted to help business owners understand the mechanics of deal making and the interaction between three critical phases of business, acquisition, growth, and exit. And so I am very happy to announce Buy, Grow, Exit, a guidebook for business owners and their advisors on how to buy, grow, and guess what, exit in a way that maximizes value and avoids landmines along the way. The book is available now, so just head over to buy, grow, exit. 
www.thinkandgrowthpodcast.com.au to get your copy and to access a whole heap of free resources that will really help you on your journey of acquisition, growth, and exit in your business or in working with your clients. Also, check out our show notes where we will link straight through to that page. Ladies and gentlemen, this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au.